I was not born to greatness and many would not call me great now. Most philosophers are not appreciated in their time. Do you think Diogenes was respected when he asked, of what use is a philosopher who doesn't hurt anybody's feelings? No, he was ridiculed by the majority, not because he was wrong, but because they did not have eyes to see. The greatest downfall of man today is the shrinking of our world to a tiny screen. When the African-American spiritual course, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands was written, the lyricist meant God's got the whole world in his hands. He did not mean you and you and you and you and everyone, yet here we are, and we all have the whole world in our hands, and it has broken us beyond what science can effectively measure. I am Alana, and this is Racing Home, the podcast where I unpack the journey of writing the first book in a series about the end of the world. Welcome. Happy New Year. I am recording this on Monday, January 1st. It is 2024. I am excited for this new year. I'm always thrilled to start fresh. And it it feels good. I know last time I was on a bit of a heavy, grumpy, <laughs> it caught me in a bad moment. I was having a lot of um, negative feelings about where I was at, just personally and in my business. I'm not saying that I'm over that. I'm still working through those feelings, but it's January 1st. I'm starting fresh. We're starting again. If you do follow me on Instagram and watch my stories, you will know that on December 26th on Boxing Day, I met my goal. I crossed that border of 70,000 words. I had just posted a video. I had set up my phone as I crossed that threshold. You know how people will film in their car when they cross 300,000 kilometers or something? It's like this milestone moment that you want to capture. That's what I did. And I am so, so proud that I actually reached that because I think... I knew that I could, but I really believe that without this pressure I created for myself, this promise that I was going to tell you if I didn't, this is why it happened. So thank you. And I don't know if it's one of you listening or if there's a hundred of you listening, but you are the reason that I now have a draft of 70,000 words. It is by no way done. Right now, I've just been working on reading through what I have. I'm, I don't know, just a few chapters in now. You know that the time between Christmas and New Year's is such a nebulous, confusing, cloudy group of days. So I don't feel like I was really productive in there. My current word count is 70,179. So obviously I haven't done, made a lot of progress as far as new words. I do anticipate new words still being written. There's still parts of the story that need to be told before this is a whole smooth, full book. There's no way it could go out in the world right now. The greatest burden, I believe, the greatest burden of writing is the first draft. After that, it's like, that's when the fun comes and that's where I really start to see magic. Because as I've been reading it back, 
I have these moments of like, who wrote this? And oh, I wish I wrote that. Like there, there's such an, an out-of-body experience that happens when you're really deep in your writing. And it's exciting to go back, really have no understanding of where it came from or how you produce that thing. But just feeling this pride over, holy crap, that came out of me. <laughs> Any woman that has given birth to a child, like it, it's like that, but with a different kind of pain. I don't know how to describe it, but it it's a really thrilling stage to be at. And I'm so excited about what I have and what it's going to become. I chose that little excerpt at the beginning because it gives a little bit of the flavor, some of the messages that I've planted within this story. I don't think of myself as a real political person, as someone who takes really strong stands, but I think that's a lie. I think I have become much more politically aware and driven, and I am a person of very strong convictions. It's impossible for that not to bleed through some of my characters. So the big challenge to me is to also show characters who are actually opposite of me. That is where the big challenge is. But yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts. When If you read a book and you feel political affiliations coming through, how do you feel about that? Do you even notice? And that is my hope. My hope is that no one picks up on that. But at the end, that there are issues that they'll clearly be able to understand me on and maybe maybe be forced to question a few of their own ideals. My, it is never my intention to convert anyone in any way, but it is interesting to allow characters to be very vocal in their feelings. I just watched Leave the World Behind, which is the new Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke movie on Netflix. First of all, the cinematography is so good. It just looks incredible. So for that alone, I recommend that you watch it. The whole political undertone of the film was really interesting and I liked it. I didn't feel preached to, but I did, I did have thoughts. I did feel influenced. Maybe art is a vehicle through which we can be evangelists for our own message. Not maybe, it is. That's what we're all doing. Every artist, every writer, every poet, we're all just trying to share our view of the world, not to gain followers or bring people into our camp, but just to prove to ourselves that what we believe matters on a grander scale. And maybe that's narcissistic, but I don't think so. I think that's just a human need to not be alone. And that's all we're doing with our storytelling. It's perpetuating the things that matter to us. And on some level, 
we are all, all of us artists. Every artist is a philosopher. I do hope that I have enough levity amongst kind of some of the heavy commentary that I'm weaving through this whole story. And like, how can you not have heaviness in a story about most of the population being wiped out? Like it's unavoidable, but I do hope that I'm putting enough levity in that the story is actually enjoyable to read, that it's capturing imagination, not that it's pushing an agenda at all. And I really don't believe it is Full disclosure, if you want to know where I'm at, I just want to live on a commune and ignore everything. <laughs> That's where I'm at. My son's partner is has been with us for a couple weeks now. They're visiting from North Carolina. Their relationship is really fascinating. They have really been in each other's lives since they were 14 years old, meeting through storytelling on Wattpad, which is an online writing, like creative writing, kind of a social platform. It's like a blogging. I don't even know how to describe it. It doesn't matter. So they have been together building a relationship, a friendship since they were 14. They are now, how old is my son? 22. So they've had years of building this relationship. They are now exclusive to one another and have been for several years now, but don't see each other in physical, like touchable form, except like once a year. So it's just a fascinating relationship. Anyways, his partner has been staying with us for a couple of weeks and will be with us for the rest of this week. And they live on a commune. And I'm so fascinated by that whole concept. And I want to really dig into that, but I don't want to be disrespectful or make them uncomfortable but I may I may see if they'll sit down and help me unpack some things because there's so much within this book within when the trees all burned that is based around the idea of a commune around the idea of perfect communism so I know communism has such an ugly connotation it has it's such a triggering awful thing and it's been associated with so much terribleness but at its root, I like what it stands for. So there's that. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of what I'm exploring through this book, through When the Trees All Burned, through the whole series, is the idea of perfect communism and the commune life and the stuff that Thomas More tried to explore through his book, Utopia, the whole thing fascinates me. I want to live in a commune and some of our really dear friends, we've joked about how we want to, <laughs> to just live together in a little pocket of the world, build our own little Eden and live separate from everyone else, be self-sustaining. This is so beautiful. I also know it is impossible because of human nature, which is why my book is going to be so fascinating, such a fascinating exploration of how, of human behavior and ultimately, I think, why it won't work. Really, my whole goal, just like last time, was to give you an update on my word count. I'm going to try and keep this going every week because I think it is valuable for me 
to um, make sure I have something to report. So, I mean, as long as you keep showing up to listen, I'm going to keep sharing my rambling thoughts about where I'm at with my book. And I hope that as I start rolling out launch plans and finalizing plans, that you'll be there for the ride. So yeah, I'll just continue on from where I started that excerpt and you can get to know a little bit more of Rajiv Montgomery Noah's personal philosophy. Man is not meant to have instant access to a stranger across the ocean. Man is meant to live in quaint societies, helping one another within shouting distance. Access to everything effectively reduces our access to one another. Neighbors don't chat on porches as the sun goes down. Instead, they remain in their homes while radio signals allow a Canadian to play chess with a Russian, an American to have virtual sex with a Colombian, a Korean to attend a digital concert in Australia. Stop. When's the last time you touched someone outside your household without flinching? Do you carry sanitizer in your purse? Why? Because you are afraid of anything real. The more invested we are in the screen in our hand, the more isolated we become. The internet is why the world is dying. And yes, it is how I am able to get these words to you. And yes, that does in a way make me a hypocrite, but mark my words, if we want to return to a perfect society, it must be one without the internet. If it were within my capacity as a human with a human lifespan, I would send all of you subscribers handwritten letters of my manifesto, but I am human. As such, my only vow to you can be this. In my Eden, there will be no internet and thus it will be the birthplace of a new society. One with the potential for perfection, for utopia. Nobody owns anything, but everyone is rich. For what greater wealth can there be than cheerfulness, peace of mind and freedom from anxiety? Thomas More has given me such a blueprint for Eden and I mourn the fact that you will not likely be there to experience it. We did not ask if he had seen any monsters for monsters have ceased to be news. There's never any shortage of horrible creatures who prey on human beings, snatch away their food or devour whole populations. But examples of wise social planning are not so easy to find. The monster is in your hand. Chin up bright eyes. We'll talk again next week. This passage contained direct quotes from Thomas More's Utopia. Written in Latin for a European audience, More's Utopia is a quintessential humanist dialogue, first published in Belgium in 1516. It is part of the public domain. Racing If you would like to support my writing journey with a small financial donation, you may do so by visiting bio.site slash Alana Rusnak. That link is available in the show notes. You can make a donation of any size of your choosing and it will go towards funding the production of this book. Writing takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. It requires a lot of coffee and chocolate. So if you wanna help out, that's one way you can do it. Donations over $50 will be automatically signed up to receive a signed copy of When the Trees All Burn at least one week before official launch. <laughs>